0: One thing COVID-19 has taught us is that the world can change in radical ways that only a short time ago were unimaginable. Everything is on the table right now. This podcast is about imagining a more beautiful world. I talk to people who inspire me, not only with their ideas, but their experience about how things can be better than we currently think is possible. Today, my guest is Amisha Gadiali, who I met about 10 years ago in a co-working space and she's since gone on to do some amazing things not that she hadn't already done lots of amazing things but um created a a podcast called the future is beautiful um where she talks to people about a really wide range of subjects um it's amazing how she manages to interweave politics spirituality environmentalism um cycles, rhythms of of nature, rhythms of of people, all sorts of different things, and connects them in an amazing way that makes them all fit together. And she also has a a collective, an online group, uh, where she mentors people and a leadership course. And she's just released a book about intuition. So I'm really excited to talk to her about the book and about why she decided to write it and understand what might need to change for us to have a more beautiful world about our relationship with intuition. So Amisha, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Andy. Lovely to spend this time with you.
0: Yeah, really lovely. Um, so when I was thinking about um, interviewing you, I talked to my, my, my fiancé and my dad were sitting on the sofa together and I said, what do you guys think about intuition? And um, my dad said, I think it's a bit like a cognitive bias. You should try and ignore it as much as possible. <laughs> and my fiance said oh i i think i actually i ignore it a lot but i want to try and listen to it more (laughs) and i thought maybe that was quite a good representative of like how a lot of people view intuition um either it's it's like something that's not important or that should be more important Mm -hmm. and i'm quite interested why how you ended up writing this book because um there as i mentioned at the start there are so many topics that i know you cover on your podcast and i know that you know about and, um, and I think it's particularly interesting that, you, um, that it was Dorling Kindersley that published it. Because when I think of Dorling Kindersley, I think of like, books about the Romans, books about the planets. And this is kind of out there to have a book about intuition. And it, it has things in it that, that I wonder, like a really sort of mainstream kind of audience would be a bit like, huh, what? <laughs> like the fact that in your About the Author, it says that you've done um, priestess initiation. <laughs> um so I'm just yeah I'm really intrigued how you ended up write, writing this book why because this is your second book you wrote one called the future is beautiful why did you decide to write this
1: well I didn't decide to write this as in I didn't pitch to write a book uh, called intuition I don't know if I would have been so bold as to, <laughs> as oh. to do that <laughs> um, it, what's, it really interesting about this book is that DK decided that they wanted to write a book called Intuition and that this was something that was really important for this time. And as you say, a mainstream book that would be around bookshops and that would be accessible to people that don't necessarily have like a deep relationship with their intuition, don't really know what their intuition is. And somehow they found me and invited me to write the book. And At first, I questioned whether I was placed to write the book at all, because I hadn't necessarily labelled myself as somebody that knew about intuition or or kind of in the language of publishing is an expert at intuition. (laughs) (laughs) And I found the whole thing quite mysterious, as in what made them choose me? And it turns out that it was their intuition, you know, they, they (laughs) they... they they scoured the internet looking for people. I don't know what their search terms were. And they must have come across a multitude of people. But for some reason, I was their choice. And I fell into it when the offer arrived and realized that there was a very strong thread of intuition in my life, like in my childhood, in the way that I've made decisions, even in my kind of cultural ancestry coming from an Indian background um, having a Jungian analyst as a father. There were lots of threads where actually intuition was very clearly part of who I am and what I do. And even things like with the one-to-one work that I do, an aspect of it is intuitive therapy and, and that when I do my podcast, I, Right from the beginning, decided never to have questions that had been pre-thought out or pre-planned, and I never tell the guests what exactly we're going to talk about, and I never know, and I just always keep it as a surprise for all of us. We all use our intuition, and I found that what that's created is something really beautiful because mm. people end up sharing things that they've not shared before. We end up talking about things from a different angle, mm. and through all of that, then I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I. I know about this. And, and so in the process of writing the book, which in itself was an interesting process and took place mostly during the first lockdown and ended, the book went to print two weeks after my father died. So I was in the editing process whilst I was at his bedside and organizing his cremation, all of that kind of thing. So it was full on um, as its own initiation, if you like. And yeah, I feel like it's a really well-timed book because what has come out through the pandemic and more generally is how important this relationship with this part of ourselves is. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thought I had when I knew that found out that your book was about intuition was it's very, very niche. Like my idea of what intuition was before I read your book and listened to you talking about it was it's kind of like a really small thick part of life like it's just like oh you occasionally get a gut feeling and you make a choice but when I read your book it's like it's actually about everything (laughs) it's about yoga meditation the planets health relationships community it all it it all is connected to intuition
1: yeah I imagine different people would have written this book in different ways but I feel like at its very basic level, intuition is part of our intelligence, and it's there in every aspect of our life. And the ways to cultivate it are vast. And it it's actually about having a whole different relationship to ourselves, and and the way that we live our lives. If we want to live a, a more intuitive life,
0: so can you define what what it is in your in your view? What is what is intuition?
1: Intuition is. It's like our inner intuition inner is, is kind of one way of understanding it, like that there is a, an aspect of our intelligence that knows things that we haven't necessarily learnt or researched or been told. And so if you imagine that we all have access to this, this intelligence and that there's something about this intelligence that's, that's collective, that, that exists outside of what's personal about our own lives... And that this intelligence, it, it allows us to, on one hand, maybe make decisions where we might not have all of the information that we would assume we need to make a rational decision. And on the other hand, it means that we simply know things and it's like, well, I don't even know how I know that. And what I find really amazing is when I spend time with my nieces, for example, who are three and five they know all kinds of things that they haven't been told. And sometimes they'll just start saying something or doing something and I'll be like, how do you know that? Who told you that? And they're like, no, I just came to me. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that really makes me clear that this is an intelligence that we all have. And that when you, when you really watch children, spend time with children, you will see that you know they're very clever at like repeating things that they hear and all of that but that there's there's also a whole a whole scope of information of things that they just know and that's quite fascinating and and because you know culturally we tend to sort of be like no what you need to learn is this yeah and no what you're saying is silly yeah um it kind of gets stamped out of us, and, and then by age seven, and then that's like a whole other thing, and that's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, um, but it's amazing, because this intelligence works on so many levels. And it's always been there with humans, always, throughout time, and it always will be. And if we can lean into it, it has so many gifts.
0: Mm. Something that I'm very curious about, and I'm not sure if you actually say it explicitly in the book, is um, where does it come from? Because when you say inner tuition, it kind of makes me think of like it being in your brain or in your body somewhere. But the way that you talk about it and the way that I perceive it is it's it's more like, and this is also, it also makes me think it's interesting that Doolin Kindersley published a book about it because it's almost like you're saying this is kind of there's something divine about this there's something omnipresent about it we're tuning into this like this this universal intelligence and getting information from it it's not like within a box in our brains. Is that how you feel about it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like you, there's different language that you can use and that that can help people um, or hinder people in being able to understand what it is um, It has been in a way, more captivating to those that are already spiritually minded, that you can kind of understand that there's this greater intelligence that is perhaps divine or interconnected. Um, And yet we also know from science that there's a whole level of interconnection that is invisible. Um, And so I don't know. I mean, I would question whether anything lives in a box in our brain. (laughs) Even the most rational information that that you might have in that box.
0: (laughs) But I think that is generally that that our societal way of seeing ourselves um, is like we are this walking kind of box of thoughts (laughs) that that is separate from everything else. I don't believe that is true, although I think sometimes I do um maybe I act as if it's true right I think you know without sort of unquestioningly I'll be acting like I am separate from everything else but yeah I, I think what you're pointing to with this intuition and the way that you're describing it is actually quite a deep shift in the way that we view the human being and uh, the way we view rea- the way we view reality and truth and how much more interconnected we are than our so- individualistic society would have us think
1: absolutely
0: so, um, in the context of reimagining intuition, I wanted to ask you, and you touched on this a little bit with like getting stamped, getting it stamped out of you when you're young. What do you think is the issue, or what's limiting about the way that our society views intuition currently?
1: There's quite a, a complex history around intuition, and I feel like there are multiple layers to it that that speak towards what we call systems of oppression. And so words like patriarchy, like colonization, um, capitalism, you know, kind of come into play. And if you imagine that we all have this really innate intelligence, then we're going to have ideas that are not necessarily, or well, ideas or desires that are not necessarily compliant with fitting into a system and fitting into a system like as a kind of a cog in an economic machine and knowing our place and when you look through history all of the all of the ways in which certain kind of cultural identities have been stamped out or diminished and when you look at colonization when you look at like the way that certain tribes or types of people that have a very intuitive way have been treated. When you look at even the history of like the pagans in the UK that were more connected to the land, when you look at the great witch hunts, which happened over several hundred years in multiple parts of Europe and were gruesome. And in these witch hunts, it wasn't just women, it was women and men. This is people's sisters, mothers, aunties, brothers, uncles that were killed for living in a way that was more connected, more interconnected and a witch, you know, we have this kind of idea of what witches are, that they're these sort of um, ugly spinster like scary women that live in the woods and if you go near them you will be put in like a big cauldron you know it's like that's what we keep seeing in all of the movies and everything yeah. uh, this it's, idea of what a witch is they're witches. like a baddie aren't they they're a baddie <laughs> but they're the worst kind of baddie because they're female and they're single and you know <laughs> and um, and so actually you could be a witch in the you could be murdered for being a witch in these witch hunts for something so simple like if you had a headache and I said oh there's a herb in the garden if I make you a tea and I gave you a tea that would help your headache I could be murdered for being a witch and so actually then what happened is there was a systematic stamping out of these very kind of natural ways of being more connected to the land being more connected to each other and, and kind of being in, in a in a kind of in a more direct relationship with both nature and that which is kind of bigger than us or mm. what what we now sort of deem as magical or woo-woo or um, weird mm. or you know but actually when you look into so many different cultures like um, Native American that's not the nice nicest way to 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 name those people, because it includes the name of the conqueror within it. But if you look at indigenous tribes uh, for many, many years, there were practices such as having the women sleep in a circle together with their heads together at the time um, that they were all bleeding. So they were kind of in this relationship of a deeper connection to nature. And at that moment, they would dream a collective dream and they would be able to tell the men where the buffalo were so that everyone could eat. So these kinds of practices were just built into how humans lived. Mm. That wasn't weird, that was like, well, how else are you gonna know where the buffaloes are? Just like run around looking for them, (laughs) like, you know? (laughs) That was normal.
0: Randomly come across them.
1: (laughs) Exactly, so that was normal that you would use these deeper forms of intelligence in Mm. order to be able to live your life and survive. And when you go into, shamanic cultures now and this is something that's very popular for people in the west to go and 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 live with indigenous tribes in the amazon and whatnot like you will find people that they can connect to information that they've never read in books and they've never been told that will give them very clear information about things that will keep their people safe or things about you, like they can look at you and then maybe they can tell you like, oh, you have like this pain in your left shoulder and it's because of this thing that happened to you when you were four all of this kind of information. And so there's a huge history there and it then just gets, it keeps on getting compounded. And then on top of that, you put our education system which focuses very much on the, the, this sort of rational, learnt, emotionless intelligence and that's kind of how you, you know, get into it's how you do well and then get into positions of power. And, and we know like very masculine driven. Um, it's not actually been that long in terms of our human history that women have been allowed to work or vote and these kinds of things. And so, yeah, it's just there's layers and layers and layers and layers of it. Well, one of the
0: things that I know we're both a big fan of um, Charles Eisenstein. If you don't know who he is and you're listening to this, then he's a, he's a brilliant writer and speaker. And one of the things that um, I find him very insightful talking about is the issue of climate change. And um, people who know about climate change and care about it um, often feel very hopeless. And, and if you look at the, the data about how much um, the ice, is, how fast the ice, ice is melting and how much <clears throat> the carbon is increasing, um, it's kind of rational to feel Help hopeless. And um, Charles says that actually, rationally, it's already lost. Mm-hmm. Logically, we, we've kind of the world is ruined, basically. But the reason that he has hope is that he believes that there is um, the potential for miracles. There's the potential for things happening that are outside of our current understanding of what's possible. And for me, intuition fits into this very directly. Like we need to be open to ways of knowing ways of knowing the way forward, which is given our current way of looking at the world, and our current understanding and things that have happened up until now, just aren't we haven't seen, we haven't experienced yet. Yeah. We need we need something to take us in a radically different way if we're going to deal with some of these problems, which could actually like ruin us if we keep tackling them in the same way that we're tackling them now.
1: Absolutely. And and that speaks to what Buckminster Fuller says as well around how you 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 can't solve the problems with the same kind of intelligence. Paraphrase completely. The same kind of intelligence that created them. You know yeah. that that you have to you have to be open to another way. And so, if you're open to this other kind of intelligence, then that is going to bring in more creativity and 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 a whole set of solutions, miracles, whatever you want to call them. Um, ways of being that we don't yet know. And the other thing about intuition that I feel really prepares us for this time is that when you cultivate a relationship with your intuition, you get more and more comfortable with living with uncertainty Mm. because the rational mind has to plan everything out, right? So you need to measure everything and know what the future holds. And to be honest, it's a fake construct anyway. You know, we, we create all these kind of rational rules for example i'm married so that's you know that's happening that's i'm in that relationship that's final but of course that marriage could end at any time but that's not the rational story that we live in when you're married i have a job like you know i have my job it's not like i could lose my job or you know we we create these sort of rational frameworks that that give us false certainty but actually when you really embrace living from your intuition you actually live in a way where you embrace the uncertainty and you might make plans and you might have intentions and desires and goals, but you learn to hold to them lightly and to listen um, to what else might want to happen that's different to how you could have even imagined. And you don't judge everything in the same way, like good and bad. You know, it's 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 a whole way of living that that, leaves more openness and this is something that I've been experimenting with I suppose in my own life for for years I've been it's been a long time since I've had a set idea of this is home and this is my lifestyle I've been like moving around a lot and um living in different places you know obviously it's been different with the pandemic but but before that, I, would nece- I wouldn't I would necessarily know like what country I was going to be in June if you asked me in January. And so I was like living with this kind of openness where I would allow things to unfold and I would keep an openness so it wasn't so rigid. of Like, well, I can't do that because I'm already doing this. You know, it, there was much more kind of like actually being able to feel in like, oh no, okay, is this the right invitation at this moment? And what that's meant and also from talking to others that I know that that live with more of that kind of openness and that relationship with uncertainty, then you take say the pandemic and it hasn't felt as hard because it's not like I need this to be over so that I can have everything normal again. It's like, okay, well, here we are, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and who knows how it's gonna shift and evolve. And so on a mental health level, when we've cultivated that ability to to live with that kind of uncertainty it it prepares us to to be able to handle it you know we have better tools but that's a whole kind of process of cultivation and it would be very helpful if that kind of cultivation wasn't just down to individuals but had some sort of community societal basis as well
0: yeah yeah so to support people with it How do you experience an intuitive decision? So say this year, should I go to India or should I not go to India? Or tonight, should I go and see my friend or should I stay at home? How do you experience the, is it just like this feels right and this doesn't feel right? How do you experience it?
1: Well, I never use the word should. That's my first rule. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And, (laughs) And the reason being that when I'm asking should, I'm already kind of giving that power over if we're talking about the power again. So when I say, should I go here or there, according to who, like should implies that there's a set of rules Mm -hmm. I'm in relationship to. And they're generally not my rules. Um, They're kind of a conditioned sense of what's right. So that's why there's a whole part in the book about kind of unpacking our conditioning and, and kind of clearing so that we're more open channels for me now, honestly, it's it's quite a it's quite a smooth kind of integrated experience. It's not like I sit and do a lot of the practices, but I have done all the practices that I the, that I put in the book. Like there's over fifty, and they have been my gateway into cultivating my relationship with my intuition. Now, there's just a sense of, of knowing it will just feel clear uh, at a certain point. And um, and if it doesn't, then maybe I'll I'll sit with it um, in my meditation or I'll ask the question before I go to sleep and sort of wake up in the morning, kind of having dreamt it a little bit or um, I'll go for a walk. And so one example that I have is I hosted a summit, an online summit uh, last year, and I had already a lot on my plate and the summit had been earmarked, um, but I hadn't organized it a month before. And so the question that I had for myself was, is this too much? (laughs) And and, you know, can I do this? Like, Is this gonna be too much for me or is it gonna be nourishing? Um, Not just for me, but for those that take part. And I took the question with me for a walk and it wasn't like I walked around thinking about the question. I just had the, the question very loosely, like, I need to decide you know whether to go ahead with this or cancel it or postpone it and and I was walking around um, in the woods and then somewhere towards the end of my walk I just had a sense of like yes I am going to do it and actually I'm not going to do one to one conversations it's going to be too much i'm going to do these sessions and they're going to be called the power of and then i basically just then had a list of like 15 different categories and then i was like okay great summit planned <laughs> and um, <laughs> you know then i had to go and like message everyone and kind of make it happen but it came to me that way
0: okay very interesting have you have you ever have you ever done street wisdom
1: what's street wisdom
0: um, it's this kind of uh, set practice where uh, which people do all over the world I think where you um you come with a question like should i do the summit and then not should sorry <laughs> what is the right way of phrasing it why what, what yeah what is the best way would you say
1: um it's dependent on why you're asking the question and so rather than should i do the summit my question was you will it be nourishing for me Uh will it be powerful for me or is it in Mm. you know is it in my highest if you want to kind of if you you, if you've got a spiritual kind of way and you want to kind of give it up to some something highest like what's your intention around the question um
0: okay so say it's like will it be in my for my highest good or nourishing for me to do the summit um and I'm glad you keep picking up on this because there's something that I do a lot is shoulds in my life (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, and then you you meet in the middle of a city area I think think it has has to be the city and then you have a series of four questions I think it is and the first one is just like notice beauty so you just walk around for five minutes and then come back and say what you noticed I noticed a beautiful flower a beautiful building Um, then it's notice patterns and it's just different little pointers to notice things from the city um, in four different stages and when you come back at the end of like this half an hour to an hour process you've normally somehow got an answer to your question And at the mm. start you're, le- you're like how can how can just looking at stuff answer my question mm. but it's amazing how walking with a question like you just described um, can really provide some insights and I often find myself questioning is this real is this true like am I just like making stuff up is this actually something that I should trust but part, part of me feels like I do want to, and there is some truth in this.
1: But it feels like what what the practice is, is it's about presencing, right? So you're connecting to the environment that you're in and you're essentially focusing your rational mind, you're on that, and then your subconscious is kind of allowed to do the work in the background, which is what I do, but without doing a process.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah um so it's number one be drawn to what attracts you number two is just slow right down so you just walk for five, however long you decide together you're going to do it for five minutes of slowing right down or 10 minutes then notice patterns and then see the beauty in everything mm. and people sometimes meet like massive groups will meet in a city and do this all together it's re- it's really cool but I haven't done it for ages
1: yeah. um, I love that I'd love to do that in a big group I, I feel like those questions are things that I walk with
0: yeah general (laughs) you're always looking for pattern and beauty and slowness yeah um i've got a question so a lot of these practices seem to be opening to like general just i want to generally connect to my intuition you gave an example of a more specific question you have you want to get the answer to um and i want to give a personal example that i've really been struggling with and i i hope that it could be more made more universal because i think a lot of people have an issue that's an ongoing thing in their life and they just can't get to the bottom of what they need to do about it Mm. so for me it's been eczema I've had eczema all my life since birth and I've gone to so many different people western doctors um, ayurvedic doctors acupuncturists nutritionalists and tried to find out from them what they think I should do to should do
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well should according to their training and background according to their training. so that one was okay, <laughs> okay. <Shoot>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what they would recommend for healing purposes and um i've often just felt really like frustrated and the sort of the, the frustration comes as the sort of question of like why can't someone just tell me like why can't it just be obvious what to do about this And for other people, it might be they might have irritable bowel syndrome or, you know, even cancer or there are lots of um, autoimmune diseases going up and up and up all the time, aren't they?
1: And problems
0: where health problems where you go to your doctor and they often don't really know what to do about it. And I think eczema is actually a really kind of good metaphor um, because it's irritation is the body not being healthy or happy in some way. And what the medical system generally does to heal it to not heal it but to treat it is suppress it so you use steroids and if the steroids don't work there are very elements which are all about suppressing the body's immune response they're not about getting to the root cause generally they, there's this stance that i've come across many times and other people with eczema have been told the same thing well you just you're never really if you have if you've got to 35 years old and you haven't found what causes it you'll probably never will so we just treat the symptom and i see this and i compare this to like crime how do we treat crime we suppress the criminals we put them in prison drugs how do we treat drugs we try and suppress the drug dealers suppress people who want to have the drugs and try and stop them getting the drugs so this, and it clearly doesn't work <laughs> and as soon as i stop using the steroids it comes back again and, and as soon as you kill one drug dealer another one pops up so I see it as quite a sort of um in a way universal problem and a universally dysfunctional way of addressing the question Mm -hmm. so if you had something like that if you had an ongoing health issue would you approach it in the same way would you go for a walk and say ask yourself what do I need to do what can I do to heal something like that
1: yeah you could do yeah I mean these health problems I feel like we have to also understand with our intuition that it's not going to just like give you the answer you know in the same way that you're wanting the doctors to give you the answer it might give you the next step and it it you know it might be something simple like oh tell that person about my eczema Mm. and then you ring somebody and you say oh yeah I'm having this issue with my eczema and for some reason you just want to tell them Mm. and then it turns out that their sister had a big problem with their eczema and that they've got some kind of recommendation you know and the, And it can open up in that way, and so there is an aspect of kind of opening up to like the flow of events that could happen. There's an aspect where you you might be able to directly get the answer that you're looking for from your intuition. You might find that yeah, you do like a writing practice, for example, and you kind of come into that place of presence, perhaps through some of the things that you shared in the street wisdom way or through um some kind of meditation or a guided meditation and then you start writing and you know you might the question might be what is my eczema trying to tell me Mm. what what does my eczema want from me what do you want from me (laughs) and and then you can start writing and see what happens and it might be that when you just let go and you just write and you write and you write like whatever that childhood trauma is that that activated it or whatever it is that you're repressing or whatever it is that's happening in your own life. Like it might just come up and and come out. And so, you know, we have to just be open to like the the information coming in from different ways. I've, I've had a mystery illness that I've had to go to lots of people for and have lots of tests and try lots of things. And um, I feel like, I mean, I had to, develop a kind of patience with it and and of course you know you invest in something and you're like this is going to be the thing but it you know it clears a bit of it like it does open up it a bit and and I guess it it kind of teaches you to to deal with complexity more Mm. which is a big aspect of the world that we're living in today when we're talking about issues like climate and mental health and our politics. Like we do have to live in, in a deeper sense of, of complexity. Mm. And therefore it might be like the key and then that key like opens up another door and then another door and it might have to be a long process. Or it might be that you literally just in one moment you figure it out and it mm. and so, for sometimes it's like once you've figured it out, the, the thing goes as well. Like, we're we're so mysterious <laughs> in the ways that we work, but I would love for you to tell us what happened with your X Men because you you have reached a a, a a new understanding with it, haven't you? Uh, I feel like <laughs> well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: feel like I'm always getting new understandings about it. Actually,
1: hmm.
0: well, one thing that happened yesterday is I was talking to uh, a friend and I said, "Oh my heck, the X Men flared up again." And she said, oh, have you tried this cream, blah, blah, blah. I was like, can we not talk about this? <laughs> what? And she was like, oh, um, sorry if I, you know, if worried you or upset you. I was like, no, it's just, I'm fed up with people giving me suggestions. Yeah. Um, and then she said, oh, can I just tell you a story actually, really quick? Uh, my brother had eczema and he literally tried everything and he, acupuncture and steroids and everything he could find. And then one day he was just like, I give up. I just give up. <laughs> and the eczema went... <laughs>
1: Yeah, the power of surrender.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so maybe it's about giving up. Um, The latest thing that I've been sort of contemplating more and being sort of exploring more is suppression of emotion. I think that um, there's a lot of that in me, which I'm not, yeah, emotion that I'm not fully in touch with. I don't even realise I'm suppressing it. I'm not consciously saying to myself, oh, there's sadness, go away. I think it's just in there somewhere. And then um, self-compassion and self-love and dealing with shame, because it does bring up a lot of disgust and shame and I'm not good enough for not, feeling, you know, for not being able to fix it and sort it out. And it looks horrible and feels horrible and people must judge me for how it looks and all of that kind of stuff, I think needs more self-compassion. And I think that that self-compassion is something that is needed not just in relation to the eczema, but everywhere in my life. Mm. So I feel like these things are starting to make me see more kind of like, instead of like, why is this happening to me? Like there is nothing good coming out of this. It's helping me to start to see, okay, maybe this is pushing, this is forcing me to look at things that need addressing anyway, even if I didn't have eczema. Maybe this is just like something that I just wouldn't be able to ignore. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so I couldn't just like go through life skimming the surface, not realizing I've got all this suppressed emotion and, that just being quite an unsatisfying life, the ex was like, look, there's all this stuff you need to deal with, deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah, it did clear up massively over the summer. And what I put that down to, rightly or wrongly, what felt like the most likely explanation was I did a lot of anger release. I did a lot of cycling and screaming and shouting and saying I wanted to murder people.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and that cleared it up if that was what it was for a good couple of months and then just gradually started getting worse and worse and worse again. But yeah, I really like what you're saying about, it's not about the magic bullet. It's about, well, can I just be guided to a next step and can the next step lead me to another next step? And can I look at the whole complexity of it? Like maybe isn't just emotion. Maybe it's a bit of diet, a bit of emotion, a bit of materials I'm wearing. It's, it's a whole complex thing that, that leads to everything. So Yeah, Yeah, I think it's also about, as you say, embracing the complexity of it and seeing it as a more of a kind of a system.
1: Yeah. And and relating that to climate breakdown, it makes sense. You know, what we would love as humans is to find the solution and say climate change is not a thing anymore. Climate breakdown is not something we have to worry about. Um, Everything's fine. Everything's solved. But. The reality is that that's never gonna happen. It's always gonna be a case of a little bit of innovating here, a little bit of cutting back here. We don't know exactly if it's going to be the thing that solves everything, but it's worth doing anyway. It's, it's worth showing up for. Yeah. And we all have to use our intuition in our the way that we live our personal lives, as mm. well as the bigger collective decisions that we make to try things and to commit to it being worthwhile to at least try and and so yeah I feel like chronic illnesses and these kind of conditions they also mirror that experience that we're having um in the bigger sense of of Mm. what it means to be a human right now there's a tendency that we want to do everything that we want to we want to be like the superhero that does it you know that has like, all the
0: answers and understands has, it all
1: has all the answers and you know you and i met not just in a co-working space but in a co-working space that was geared towards social enterprise and making the world a better place so we have a lot of mutual community of people that like our kind of way of being is naturally driven that way right like and it's not just about like our work kind of being in that direction but like it's it's about living as zero waste as possible like you know making the right kind of decisions about every aspect of our life banking this and that and then you'll find that the more that you look into each of those decisions it's never (laughs) clear-cut like whether that's actually the quote-unquote better thing to do or not and even when you analyze all of the information, it can be very hard to get the clear answer that you want. that says, tick, do this, you're a good person. It's like proper (laughs) gold sticker, gold sticker.
0: pretty annoying that, isn't it? (laughs) So annoying. (laughs) (laughs) I want a gold sticker.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I want loads. I want to be able (laughs) to feel (laughs) smug. (laughs) (laughs) And to feel like any effort is worth it, right? Like, we want to know. that the effort's worth it. And we also want to be able to measure like, okay, I wanna go and visit my relatives in India. That's important to me as a human being for all these kinds of reasons. Mm. That's damaging to the environment to all these kinds of reasons. How can I do that equation in a way where I really understand like um, whether that's okay or not? <laughs> like, you know. So we want formulas for all these things and we're never gonna get them. And that's annoying. And so like, let's just accept that, that we live in an annoying, complex world where it's very hard to know what the right thing to do is. And, and also to kind of measure health, happiness, um, relationship, like career, kind of getting all these things like as perfectly as we might want to. And so then when all of that just is, when you get to a place where you accept that, how are you going to decide what to do? How are you going to decide, you know, how to live that one wild and precious life or how to spend that random Tuesday evening? You know, what are you going to watch something? Are you going to go for a walk? Are you going to join a community group and do some volunteering? Like how? how, you know, with all these choices that we have and that's where we need our intuition because Mm. if we can really connect to our intuition, then we can handle the fact that we don't have all the data and and because our intuition doesn't it's not this thing that like you just is completely separate to the rest of your intelligence your intuition can work with your rational mind and make even better decisions (laughs) because they're working together and so Your intuition can also work off all the data that that exists that that we have that you have as the material of your life that you know when i behave like this it feels like this or when i do these kinds of things this this opens up this kind of thing you know like your life experiences but also data that we might have about climate or anything like that and your intuition can then just nudge you towards like what's how do what is the right thing what you should do <laughs> according <laughs> to the values that you hold and so that's why we all need to be connected to it because mm. it just makes us smarter and it also takes away a lot of drama of kind of what's right and all this kind of questioning and indecision and
0: and judgment and as
1: judgment well. yeah and judgment and then I feel like this is the the bit that could be really interesting is that there's this Sanskrit word called patiba and it's it's like a combination of like intuitive insight um, and creative impulse but it's it's not selfish it's connected to collective intelligence so if you imagine that there is this like interconnected web of intelligence that all humans but all species um, and maybe even more than just earth is connected to that if you're able to connect into that web as you make decisions that what you're doing when you live through your intuition it's also connected to a very sophisticated intelligent system which means that you're doing right by everything yeah um and I, you have to simplify it down into words like right to make it make sense but that's kind of amazing because we can also we can also kind of pretend that our intuition is actually kind of guiding us towards quite selfish acts that like are for the, the good of human humanity and, and nature um, but when you really get into this 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 notion of platiba, it it's like a genuine connection into a, a way of living that means that you're doing your bit whatever your bit is everyone's a winner I mean, if we have to give out the gold stars, <laughs> then <laughs> let's give them to everyone, yeah. <laughs> you no,
0: know I mean, in the sense that like you benefit, but then also the whole world benefits from you acting, from your intuition and doing the best thing. The best thing for you is also the best thing for everyone.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I know, I know what you meant by everyone's a winner. It's, <laughs> it's just, um, it, just trying to take us out of that language. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I want you to paint us a picture so this podcast is called Reimagining the World. So how do you imagine a world where people are way more connected than they are now to their intuition? What would be different?
1: Everything. It could affect us in in so many different layers. It, it really would be a, an entirely different paradigm. It's a, It's a world where everybody knows what's beneficial for their health, and therefore, we're able to live in a way where we are all more healthy and strong. And and so that's getting, that's, that's, you know, we live in a world where there's like a lot of disease. And so when you're healthy and strong on emotional, physical and mental levels. So that already is a very different world.
0: That would be enough. (laughs) That (laughs) That would be enough, (laughs) enough.
1: (laughs) but there's more. As well as that we'd be living our purpose, each of us and and we would know what that is and it wouldn't even be like a homogenized ranked experience. It, it would be like a, a full understanding of like why you're here. Um, me and my niece like to talk about it in a way of like why did she, you know why did you come down from the stars is kind of our like, Our kind of you know sweet way of talking about dharma like life purpose and so we would all have like our idea of like what it is that we're here on earth to do and that means that we would be doing it Mm -hmm. and we wouldn't be comparing or competing with each other because I wouldn't care what anyone else is doing because I'm doing what I'm doing and I need you to be doing what you're doing and I understand that that means that then everything fits. And so that's very different from yep. a world that we have. that's very competitive and like, and laughing in purpose. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Then we've got climate and future generations. We would just know what to do. <laughs> and we would have the creative intelligence to come up with the solutions that we need. And we would have the resources to do it as well, because we would intuitively know where we needed to put resources. And we would also have a very clear sense of when people were living out of alignment with intuition. And so that would make it much easier to kind of uncover where corruption was. Mm. And, the power would be completely decentralized because we would all become much more powerful, magnificent beings. (laughs) And and so that would make it very hard for there to be so much control and corruption. And yeah, that feels like enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That feels, yeah, that sounds pretty good.
1: (laughs) I mean, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to accuse this of, Idealism, um, but okay. I really, idealism. yeah, idealism. Um, but I really do feel like our intuition is that powerful. Like as I was writing this book and, you know, in lockdown, in a global pandemic, sitting in a, a small space, a treehouse, as it happened by myself for months <laughs> and really feeling into like, why is this important? And like, what is this thing that we call our intuition? Mm you know if we, the, what i'm talking about is like is if every single human being unlocked it 100% you know then everything i just said is really possible mm. obviously there's a you know there's a long way to go between where we are now <laughs> to there um, because another aspect of it would be like living in a deeper harmonic relationship with nature mm. and and that would because it would it would just open up our ability to listen and work together more
0: So we'd be happier, healthier, we'd have a healthier nature that we were more in tune with. We'd feel more purpose and we'd know how to deal with our biggest problems much more effectively and simply, and we wouldn't have so much corruption. We'd all feel more powerful and power would be more decentralized, which actually really links to the episode on politics because he was talking about decentralizing politics and making it much more something where you have citizens assemblies where everyone's knowledge um, everyone's insight everyone's perspective is valid whereas now we have a political system where it's like there's a winner and a loser there's like the the people who have the power the people that don't or you have um brexit where 50 percent of the country get what they want 50 percent don't you couldn't listen to both sides at the same time through that that referendum yeah whereas with the intuition are it sort of it sounds like you're saying well this is a way to integrate everyone's intelligence and knowledge and perspective
1: yeah and it means that that yeah the way that every decision is made at every level is different. Mm. And I think that's really hard for us to imagine because there is that sense of you know, decisions like have to be made in a certain way to be proper you yeah. know in our world and it's quite interesting you know, when you watch movies and you see kind of other types of civilizations you know there is it is always intuition it is always like There's like a, we must go here, or we must like, you know, do this. It comes from like this, this kind of deeper place, um, rather than just like, kind of like the patchwork that we often experience here, or that's so kind of, uh, it's just like in in today's world to get into any position of power, you've had to betray your intuition so many times. Mm. And I can tell you that for a fact, because I worked in politics and I left because it was already happening and I was only 24 and I just had a moment where everything that I loved about it and everything that I felt was possible about it felt like it was at the price of my own personal integrity. And at 24, I said, I'm out. I'll come back when I'm older.
0: Yeah.
1: Which I suppose now I am, but now I don't feel old enough (laughs) to go back. And I have so much respect because there are people that I was in political like campaigning groups and, and doing lots of on youth committees with and that kind of thing that are now MPs and some of them I've watched their journey and I'm so impressed at how they've held themselves they're made differently to me like in just in terms of their makeup and like the way that they're able to kind of hold complexity or hold like yeah the way that they're able to put up with certain kinds of like things or ignore certain kind of things to kind of get what they they what they need to get forward. And it's an incredible skill for those that do manage to do it with integrity. But for, for many, it, it becomes much less around values and intuition and much more about like rules and power and pleasing somebody in order yeah. to kind of get, you know, to get where you need to get.
0: Getting the headline from the right, from the policy that, yeah, or com- pleasing the constituents. Yeah, it'd be a very, very different world. So hopefully, I mean, I, I certainly feel a lot more motivated to try and tune into my intuition more. Hopefully anyone listening to this would feel the same. So you've got in your book, it's 50 practices, isn't it? To help people to tune into their intuition. So if you don't feel like you already have a, a good way of doing it or you want to find other ways of doing it, it's an amazing book and it gives you really practical ways of developing um this sense of like what what i was almost said it again what should i do (laughs) 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 it'll help you make good decisions for your life and for the world (laughs) yeah a more beautiful world which is what we're both um focusing on and i really recommend you check out amisha's amazing podcast the future is beautiful as well there's an episode recently which I can link to where she talks more about the book, where she gets interviewed about it. So, yeah, I I, I feel um, I feel really inspired to to develop this more, Misha. So thank you so much for making the time, and um, thank you for writing it and for this amazing work that you're doing not not just in writing the book, but in all your life. Just have that sense of integrity that you just described in like that must have happened not only in politics, but probably in school and lots of times in your life where you felt this sense of like, people are trying to shut me down. People are trying to tell me not to trust what I want to do or what my intuition is saying. And you resisted that. And that's amazing. And that means that you were able to help other people now to do the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's been messy. I'm sure it has been messy, (laughs) and I'm sure
0: it is still messy. But (laughs) (laughs) but you've you've come a long way, and you're championing such positive things, which are uh, through the pandemic, through climate change, becoming more and more obviously like we have to do this now. It's not like an option. I don't think we need to start to open to new ways of knowing.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, it's really my hope that we we drop the fear around intuition, and we drop the story around it being weird. And we just really embrace more of our intelligence so that we can be who we are and contribute to this world in small and perhaps enormous ways that feel, you know, attuned um, for us. And in the book, I've really tried to just make it really simple. There's nine principles. And there's a lot of very useful interesting information um, that definitely takes you into a a different kind of way of understanding yourself as a human um, that kind of opens the doors to then get into these practices and it's written in a way where you don't have to do all of it so you just find the pathway that that lets you connect deeper to your intuition in the ways that that comes out and it allows for that that kind of difference that we have in our in our ways of being.
0: Yeah. I, I, I've I tried one of the practices recently, the um full moon meditation. And I thought it was really beautiful. It's not, and it opened it got me to do things in a way that I wouldn't normally have done them. Like it was encouraging me to do a bit of chanting, which I don't normally do. And yeah, I thought it was I thought it was very simple and beautiful and connecting. So Yeah, I really recommend people check it out. And I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I certainly have. Thank you so much for your time, Amisha.
1: My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Andy, for having me and for inviting us to reimagine.
0: Yes, (laughs) you're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining the World podcast. Do you know someone who would enjoy this episode? If so, please pass it on.